Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me! It's Jonathan Elway, he was so sassy and cool and hey guys, I'm a cowboy, bang bang, sling sling, toss toss, I'm going to lose all the time and then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast, Kevin Gillikin. Yes, I'm Kevin Gillikin, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. Oh, yeah, baby. How sweet was that? Yes? Okay, I'm a little tired because I got barely any sleep last night because I got to stay up and watch the Broncos late here just outside of Munich, Germany. But boy, oh boy, was it worth it. Was there a more exciting game you've seen in the last two or three years? Absolutely not. No possible way. This was a game that went back and forth. Either team could have won from the start. It was it had everything. I mean, okay, maybe the Broncos offense wasn't everything, but it was enough. It was enough to win the game. And in the end, the Denver Broncos upset the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've done it two weeks in a row now. They've won against two very good teams. And the Denver Broncos are on their way to a possible 2018 playoff appearance. 
Oh my goodness. Absolutely remarkable what they've done last few weeks to turn this around, to keep fighting. And even though they're giving up tons of yards, they're they're finding ways to win. And that's what good teams do. This may not be the most talented team. It may not be the best coach team, but they are fighting with their teeth and with their nails and they're leaving everything out there on the field and it's showing this oh oh, i love it is is this not the most fun to watch i mean it reminds me a bit of the tebow years it also reminds me a bit of the 2015 super bowl season where the team just somehow found ways to win now it's different because that was a dominant defense and so again it reminds me more of the tebow season when, when the team just somehow miraculously won and Honestly, look at this game again. Pittsburgh and Ben Roethlisberger totally choked. I mean, they gave this game to the Broncos. Yes, the Broncos absolutely made the big plays. They deserved the win. They were the better team on the day. But you have to say Ben Roethlisberger at the end of the game absolutely did a choke job, just like Phillip Rivers did last week. Now, it's not even just the interception to Shelby Harris, which was one of the worst decisions and passes I've seen Anytime recently. That was brutal. And I'm sure Ben Roethlisberger is kicking himself even now. But it was also when he ran out of bounds on that, I believe it was a first and three or first and four or you know, first and goal type play. And instead of you know trying to go for the end zone, instead of staying in bounds, he ran out. And now I think that is a mistake. And it, it could have really been costly if Pittsburgh had scored. It would have given Denver more time to come back and, and and win the game in the end. Obviously, eventually, it didn't matter. But it was still a poor decision. And, and Roethlisberger, as a, as a veteran guy, should know better. You don't run out of bounds in that instance. You, you're, the time is on your side. You want to run out the clock at, at that point. And they didn't do it. And again, it didn't matter. But that's a bad decision. And then they just a terrible throw. It looked like a broken play from the start. But a guy like Roethlisberger, he has to know. I mean, you've got to throw that ball out of the end zone. You have one more down. You have the chance. Live to play another day. And again, it kind of points to something like a team of destiny. Does it not? It really does. I mean, again, this is a team that they're not, the Broncos are not really successful passing the ball. They're okay. They're, they're good. Case Keenum, thank goodness, has not committed any turnovers the last three games, which is huge, huge, huge. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And, you know, if it's, it's, a team that's again the bounces sometimes going their in their way that they're fighting hard tooth and nail. Oh, it's 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 gorgeous stuff. Gorgeous. Uh, it, it's it's a joy to to be a part of and to watch a team that we all had counted out. I had counted out. I'll eat crow. Okay. Hey, I'll eat crow right now. Serve me a, a nice warm plate of it because I did count them out, and I think a lot of people did. But they were three and six. They were three and six. They were a team that looked like they were on another trajectory to a losing season. And and there's no, I don't think we can fault people for for losing hope in that, for, for losing hope in Vance Joseph, who, yes, he did make some bad decisions in several games that cost the team. Case Keenum has made several bad throws that absolutely cost the team. The Denver Broncos should have beat the Kansas City Chiefs at home. That, that, that pass to Demarius Thomas should absolutely have been completed and it should have been a victory. Now it wasn't. So you can see how each of these, you know, eventually starts wearing down a fan base and makes you, you know, I guess depressed or, or down about it. Now, in that same regard, 
when our quarterback and our coach are successful, we have got to get behind them. How exciting is that? I mean, maybe Vance Joseph is a guy who is figuring it out. Maybe this coaching staff is seeing what talent they have, and they're working with it. They're playing the bend-but-don't-break defense. Do you know why? It's because they don't have the talent at cornerback or in the defensive backfield at all to stay with top flight receivers, you know, in the back end. So they're giving them a little bit of space up front and letting quarterbacks throw for 400 yards against them. And they, they've done it two weeks in a row and somehow it's worked. It's, it's the perfect example of Ben don't break. And I don't love it. Nobody loves it, but if it gets you a win, then it's obviously good coaching. I mean, I, you can't, you can't keep saying the team won in spite of their coaches. That's totally unfair. And it's not true. It's not right. This team is figuring out ways to win, and they're coming in prepared. Vance Joseph and this coaching staff absolutely outsmarted and outcoached Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Absolutely. No question. Now, last week against the Chargers, I don't know. Maybe you can can say a little bit differently, and the Chargers probably even outplayed the Broncos more than Pittsburgh did. This week... It was I, I thought it was the best coaching job that Vance Joseph has done. I thought it, I don't think he made any or at least not many mistakes as a coach. And maybe that's what he needs. You know, he maybe like a player, he needs this this starting point, this this springboard to jump him into being a good or even a great coach. Now, yes, he's not going to be your your great play caller, probably. He is more like your Mike Tomlin, a guy who is a leader, a guy who, who gets your team prepared, who fires people up. And that's why Elway brought him in. Elway likes the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, their example of a team, that the way they win, and they've done it for years and years and years, and they do it with consistency, just like we talked about last week. There are different styles of winning in the league right now. And, and what I found with the top seven teams was there are two different styles. One is you either have a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Fame quarterback, or both, preferably, or you have a young, cheap quarterback and a offensive head coach. Now, yes, Vance Joseph is not an offensive head coach, but... He's a guy who, you know, maybe he can bring himself to be this Hall of Fame type guy. Yeah, I get it. I get it, guys. Don't calm down. Don't don't come, you know, book your tickets to Munich. Come beat me up. He's not even close to being in that conversation. I understand that. But maybe he needs the chance. Maybe he deserves the chance to have at least one more year to see if he can grow with this team. This is also on Elway. Remember, the talent this, that this team has had the last few years, you have to blame it on Elway. His drafts have been terrible until 2018. 2018 was an unbelievably good draft. So if Elway and Kubiak and whoever else is in charge up there can figure out how to duplicate what they did in the 2018 draft, then absolutely, I think that maybe <laughs> maybe Vance Joseph deserves a chance. I don't know. I mean, I'm still so inside. I'm still so torn about it. So I think I'm arguing against myself right now, but, but we have to be positive about it. Absolutely. No matter what, even if Vance Joseph doesn't continue as a head coach following the year, which he might not. I mean, if, especially if they don't make the playoffs, especially if they end with a losing record, then yeah, I think he's gone, but they just won two big games in a row. We have to give him something. We have to give some hope into this team, into the future, into Case Keenum even. I mean, Keenum is a guy, yes, he's not the greatest quarterback ever. He's not going to necessarily dominate games, but he's shown 
Week in and week out, he is good in the fourth quarter. He's clutch. He makes big plays. He's got ice in his veins. He's a good leader. And if he continues like he has the last three weeks to not make mistakes, he is a guy you can win around. He's also not too expensive. So he is possibly somebody that for the next few years until maybe you find someone in the draft that you love, he could be the guy. Now, I don't love Keenum. I don't love that that style of winning. I think it's better to go with a young, cheap guy like, like we talked about last week. But for now, and I believe for next year, because I don't see any quarterbacks coming out of the draft that Elway or the Broncos are going to love, we're sticking with Keenum, and we should be okay with that. I think we see progress. We see a guy who's figuring out the system. We see an offensive coordinator in Bill Musgrave who is figuring out his his head his um, quarterback. And yeah, I, I agree that they should have figured it out before now. But hey, let's look at the bright side. It looks like they're getting it. And again, they've had this is something that nobody has talked about enough. And that I think they mentioned last night. The Broncos have had the hardest schedule in the NFL this year, and I don't think it's all that close. They've played so many good teams. It's week after week after week they're playing the top teams in the NFL. They played three straight teams with at least five five game winning streaks. That's never happened, and then they beat two of them. That's an that's that's a brutally tough schedule. And then you add on Kansas City twice. You add on the LA Chargers. You add on the LA Rams. This is a a terribly difficult schedule and the Broncos have been close in nearly every game now yes the Jets game was terrible that was when I started to lose faith because I thought the team had given up on their coaches but you know now you look at it you know in hindsight you could say I think that the the every team gets that mulligan they get that one game where they just don't show up and usually it's when a team travels from from one coast to another or from Denver over to New York, and, and they played an early game, and that, that was just a brutally bad situation for the, for the Broncos. Now, yes, I, I still don't think you should give up, what was it, 350 yards rushing like they did, but you know I think you need to give the team that, that break. So after this victory, I mean, there's so much good that came out of it. There, there, there's so little bad. I mean, I, the only one bad thing I want to point out is how bad Darian Stewart was. Darian Stewart, I, I watched the highlights again several times, and it really seemed every single big play was was caused by Darian Stewart either missing a tackle, being out of position, or being slow. I, I mean, I, this is a guy I really liked. He was a guy who was a big, big reason why the 2015 team was a great defense, one of the greatest of all time. But he looks like he slowed down. He looks like he doesn't have it you know, in his legs anymore. And, and it's too bad. I mean, I think he's been a great player for the Broncos, but I think he's becoming a liability in the, in, in the defensive backfield. Now, the, well, I guess one other thing was the de- defensive backfield just seems to be really lost sometimes. They don't seem like they're they're connecting with each other. They're, they're pointing fingers. They're blaming each other almost regularly, it seems. They, they don't really understand who's supposed to be covering who. And I, that, I don't know who that stems on. I don't know who they're missing. Maybe they're missing a guy like TJ Ward, who used to be the, the quarterback back there and, and who would you know straighten people out. I think Chris Harris is trying, but I think it's usually supposed to be a guy at the safety position because he has a better view of the field. Either way, that's a problem. Now, other than that, this was just a great victory all around. I mean, the special team's got another blocked kick. That's the fourth on the season. Case Keenum stayed clean. He had decent um, numbers, not great, but he played clean ball. He was he was good when he needed to be. Like he's been all year. Phil Lindsay, you can't speak enough about the guy. He's just 
He's so good. I and and I see quotes from him on Twitter and stuff. I mean, he is Mr. Colorado. He, he this guy, if he stays healthy, he could truly be a superstar on and off the field. Absolutely. I mean, he 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 says the right things, he does the right things. He didn't do the mile high salute for several weeks because he wanted to wait to earn that right to do it. That is so cool to me. That's so freaking cool that this guy respects the organization enough, respects Trell Davis, respects the mile high salute enough that he didn't do it until he had earned it. That is huge. That that shows just extreme maturity in my mind. But I mean, just look at him on the field. There's no one who can keep up with him. I mean, Tony Romo was gushing about him, and he's absolutely right. He has skills that you rarely see combined. I mean, his quickness, the 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 movement of his feet, his his jumping ability, you know, from from right to left, you know, that 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 I don't know what you call it, the quick feet, and add that to his patience and his vision. I mean, this guy could be a superstar, and, and he's undrafted. He could be one of the greatest free agent signings undrafted free agent signings of all time of all time and the Broncos are, are they do it year in and year out they find these guys I, I don't know if that's luck or or just really good I guess scouting either way the, the guy's a freak he, he's an absolute joy to watch um I think you're gonna see Lindsay is probably the top jersey sale here in the next few years as as Von Miller becomes older and older uh, it's just what a joy. I, I, the team really has some hope. I mean, Cortland Sutton didn't really show up in this game. He had a couple of drops, uh, didn't look great, but he's still a, a great talent. Um, you know, the tight ends are starting to pick it up. They're young. The, the running backs are great. The offensive line, this is a line that, that's pieced together. This is Frankenstein line. And again, I think they gave up one sack and one penalty. That's fantastic. And they had, what, 140 yards rushing on the ground? I mean, that's really, really good, and and, and and they have helped Keenum in the last two weeks to stay clean, and when he stays clean, he's better at keeping you know the ball under control and not turning the ball over, and, and so the offensive line somehow has become a strength, even though I truly thought, I mean, two weeks ago, I said this team was done, finished, and it was because of their offensive line, so I'll eat another plate of crow for that, okay? I mean, crow dessert for me for that one, because I thought they were done. The offensive line has been brilliant. The coaching was very good. I think they absolutely outcoached Pittsburgh. What a game. What a game. I'm so pumped about it. I, I can't wait to, to, to watch the Broncos the rest of the season, to cover them the rest of the season. I'm so glad I'm here on the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast so that I can talk about them. And we can together, we can you know really look forward to what this team can become, what they are now, and what they could become in the near future. Everybody, everybody. So what does this victory mean for the Denver Broncos? Now, of course, it means that they're five and six. They're they're right in there for the for a playoff spot right now. They're they're the sixth place, uh, I think, out of the teams that are fighting for it. So they still need a lot to win. That they're going to need to probably win out or lose just one game, and they need some other things to go right for them. But even a winning season this year, I think, would be a relative success. I don't think anyone really expected a ton out of this team. There are a lot of places, you know, a lot of pieces missing and a lot of talent that's not there um so the question really is if this team let's say goes nine and seven and misses the playoffs or eight and eight and misses the playoffs and I think that's a realistic idea when you look at their schedule coming up you have a fairly easy schedule but it's not super easy I mean you have teams like Cleveland that you you look at them on paper it's like oh well it's Cleveland but Cleveland's a good team I like Cleveland. I, I think Cleveland's actually going to want to go on a playoff run of their own, but they're going to need even more to go their way. 
And, you know, they play in Denver plays in Cincinnati next week. Cincinnati is a very flawed team, but they're also a team that has a lot of firepower. They can really put up points on you if, if, if they want to. Andy Dalton looks like he might be injured. Now, yes, if Andy Dalton is hurt, uh, he's got a thumb injury on his throwing hand. If he is out, then obviously your chances, you know, increase for winning this game. And, and then the chances for the playoffs increase, et cetera. Now, I think again, eight and eight, nine and seven, you missed the playoffs. So, what does this team need to do moving forward? Now, I want to expound a little bit about what we talked about last week and what the top teams do right now in the NFL. The top seven teams, how they win, and then the top, and then the bottom six teams, why they lose. Now, I don't want to go in depth because we did that last week, but again, what we decided was most teams are, I think, four out of the seven that are they have their keys are a young offensive head coach or an offensive head coach at least and a young, cheap quarterback who you can build the team around. The other teams were built around Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Hall of Fame coaches, and a consistent leadership. That means consistency at the head coach position, consistency in ownership, and in the general manager uh, front office. Now, those teams are like Pittsburgh, New England. Those are teams that you look at that that just they're always the same. Nothing changes. Mike Tomlin's the he's he's been the the head coach for years, and and their their ownership is so consistent. Ben Roethlisberger's always been there. I mean, and so teams, your teammates know what to expect. You 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 know that they're going to compete. You know they're going to have a good organization, and that's a big deal. And I think. When I did the podcast and I later wrote a, an article for milehighreport.com that, that talked a little more in depth about it, I had a lot, some very, very good comments on, on the milehighreport.com on the, in the comment section. And, and a lot of them were, were agreeing with me or saying, you know, pointing out which team they want to emulate, etc. And some, some comments, as usual, just said, I'm an idiot and, and I don't know what I'm talking about. And the Broncos should do their own thing. Now, you know, besides you know, going in a corner and crying for a few minutes because that hurts my feelings. I, you know, thought about it and thought, you know, it, it is true. Of course, every team needs to do their own thing. You can't just say, hey, look, Pittsburgh's winning. Let's be Pittsburgh. And I, I get that, of course. But the idea is that you need to build, you need to find a contention window while you're at least a few of your stars are affordable. And I think that is always the case, unless you have a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's the one thing that changes. If you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, they can give you a chance every single year. We, we see it all the time. John Elway, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. You could throw in any wide receiver out there, and they would compete. I mean, I could go out there as a wide receiver, and I it would at least catch a few balls probably because that's how good the quarterbacks are. Now, that's really hard to find. I don't know if there's any guy the Broncos are going to get anytime soon that's a potential Hall of Famer. There are only maybe three or four or five playing in the league right now. So I don't think you can go that way. So you have to build around either a young, cheap quarterback or a young, cheap nucleus with a decent and a decently paid quarterback. So if the team stay, stands pat and stays with who they have now, Keenum, he's not hugely expensive, but he's definitely not cheap. I think next year he's going to be paid something like $21 million. That's a, a little above average. And... I, you know, again, I don't love the contract. I don't love the quarterback, but he's a guy, again, if he doesn't make mistakes, he can help you win. Now, this is where it gets interesting. So it, you don't necessarily have to have a cheap quarterback. It's more like your best playmakers need to be affordable. So then you can plug other guys around the team and spend your money on other players. So spend money on your offensive line, spend money on cornerback, for goodness sake. And 
the Broncos actually do have that nucleus. You have such a good young nucleus in Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman and Cortland Sutton and maybe Deshaun Hamilton. I mean, this young offensive nucleus that are very, very cheap. You lost that big contract from Demarius Thomas. So really the only guy you're paying over you know several million on your offense is your quarterback. And, and that's fairly okay. So Case Keenum is making $21 million. Okay, I, I guess that's not true. Emmanuel Sanders is going to be making about $13 million next year. And I'd say he's worth it. I mean, he's a guy who shows up. He makes big plays. He's your he's your playmaker on offense. I think that might be a little overpaid. I could almost see him leaving or being traded. Probably not. So he's probably here. So you have a bunch of money wrapped up in Keenum and Sanders. And then after that, you have a bunch of defensive guys. And then down the line, Garrett Bowles for $3 million. Cortland Sutton for one and a half, Royce Freeman for under a million, et cetera. And so you're spending very little money on your offense right now. And next season, you're going to, you're going to have a pretty free cap space because you lost guys like, like um, Demarius Thomas. And I think you may lose someone like Brandon Marshall, uh, who's, who's getting paid 9 million a year right now, which is unbelievable. He's getting 9 million next year. He's definitely not worth that. That, that That's a in my opinion, a terrible contract. Um, so he'll probably be cut. You're going to lose at least a big chunk of that. Um, and so anyway, you're going to, you're going to have a decent amount of cap space, especially for your offense. And since you have those offensive guys that are cheap, you can build around and plug in guys on your offensive line. And now <laughs> this Frankenstein line has been great, but it's not going to last. I mean, you need to put in guys who you can trust. Now, Ron Leary is a guy who hopefully comes back healthy. Matt Paradis, I think he needs to be re-signed, and hopefully, again, he comes back healthy. Now, if you get those two and then build around maybe some of these guys who are plugged in right now, maybe that's a line you can build on and then add somebody else. So that's great. So if your offense is already fairly well taken care of, and then you can spend money on your defense, which obviously clearly needs it, especially in the defensive backfield. They're a mess. I mean, they're a total mess. Now, Bradley Roby... He comes in and he makes plays, uh, several plays a game, but he also gives up big plays. He's a guy I don't really trust. He's a guy I would love as a third cornerback. He would be a very good cornerback, third cornerback, and he was. He was for several years. He was a third cornerback on that on the Super Bowl championship team. And so if you have a guy like Tlaib and then Harris and then Roby, great. That, that's a really good lineup as at cornerback. Now, Roby's not good enough to be a very good second guy. So you need to bring in someone else who can be that guy. And I think there are several free agents who could do it. Maybe you need to draft someone high. Now, right now, if you continue to win, which I hope they do, then you're not going to have as high of a draft pick. So, you know, obviously you're not going to have maybe the top cornerback in the draft, but maybe that's an option. I I think you have some talent. Um, Isaac Yadam, uh, he had a good game yesterday, I thought. Uh, he showed up on several plays. He's still young. I think he's very raw. So not someone I trust as a number two guy, of course. So I think the Broncos could spend some money, get someone to replace Darian Stewart, get someone to re- to replace Roby as the number two. Uh, Roby might walk himself, honestly. So you may need to replace several cornerbacks. Help Chris Harris, ha- Chris Harris Jr. out. I mean, this is a guy who, who pours his body and soul into the Denver Broncos, and, and he needs some help. They did a very good job defending Antonio Brown, which I want to point out that was my key to success when we wrote about that on milehighreport.com, that I my key was that they had to shut down Antonio Brown because as he goes, so the Pittsburgh offense goes. And I think that was absolutely key that, that again, they gave up plays to the other guys, but Brown is the one who can just, he somehow destroys you. When he has a big game that the team clicks, and though, yes, the offense, I think they put up, what, 550 total yards or something of the sort, 
they they didn't score. I mean, they they scored one offensive touchdown, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, there were a couple fortunate bounces, and 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 the the great play by by um, Will Parks was was fantastic that he knocked the ball out of the end zone. But it was also lucky. I mean, that that was a really fortunate bounce, and you can't always bet on that. So anyway, you know this this team. It's a really interesting time because if they continue to win, then I think you're you're at least getting closer to saying that Vance Joseph needs to stay. Case Keenum needs to stay. Now, I know there are a lot of fans that are going to be really ticked off about that, and I don't really get it. I mean, I don't love Vance Joseph either, but if he's getting better and he, they're winning, then why not? Who else is... Who are you going to bring in that's going to succeed? I mean, th- I think that's what everyone thinks. They, they just assume that Vance Joseph sucks, and so bring in some guy off the street and they're going to be Sean McVay. That just doesn't happen. Sean McVay is one in a million. That that That's so rare to bring in, especially a young guy, and to immediately succeed. You, you almost always have to give a guy several years to learn the job. I mean, it's a really, really hard position, and you have to learn so many things. And I think Joseph, I think he might be getting it. And if he's getting it, you got to give him that chance, I think. And I think it could go either way, but either way, if you keep him, then you're obviously staying away from the offensive coordinator. Like we said, most teams are building around an offensive coordinator. Your top seven teams, that's the LA Rams, Kansas City Chiefs, New Orleans, Chicago, Houston. They're all offensive guys. Now, the two teams that don't really have offensive guys in the top seven are Pittsburgh and New England. Those two teams have had their coaches forever. Now, yes, Bill Belichick is a different story. I get it. But it still stands that they are consistently there. They are they that the offensive scheme, the defensive scheme, they don't change. Players can learn something and know what to expect year in and year out. That's something that people really take for granted, I think. I think they don't understand that learning a system is really hard. I mean, I want to give you an example. I mean, I played a little bit of football. Not much. I mean, like semi-pro, you know, go out and 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 play with you know guys who couldn't make college type football but even that it's difficult I mean I mean it's difficult learning even basic cover schemes and I mean I was playing free safety and there's a lot you've got to know you've really got to learn you know different setups different packages different you know if he goes here I go there if if they go here I go there if he runs here it's it's hard and and it changes with your coaching staff with your coaching scheme I mean especially on and if you look at the at the front seven, you can have a three, four, you can have a four, three, you can be rushing from, from the down position, rushing from the up position. That's a huge change. And I don't think people appreciate that, that when you continually revolve, the the, the door continues to, to slam on the backside of the coaches and the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators heading out the door, that really hurts your team. And, and, and that's when teams become the Detroit Lions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the teams that are constantly okay. They're whelming. They're, they're, they're never great. They're, they're sometimes terrible. But it's, it's in large part because they don't have consistency. They can't find a coach, and they don't give coaches time. They don't say, hey, look, okay, this guy's not very good, but let's give him time. And sometimes these guys just don't work. And I, and I get that. I mean, eventually you have to learn, Hey, this is not a very good coach, but if you have a guy you think might give you that chance, it might be it's someone who could be a stable piece of your organization. I don't think it's fair to give up on them after two years, because again, if you do, you're giving up on the system 
and the players have to learn it all again. Now, I get it. If it's not a good system, then that's better to just give it up now. But you're 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 restarting everything. You're going after another coach that may fail as well. That may be just as bad or worse. He may be better also, but it's a risk. And so everyone hoping for Vance Joseph to be fired, be careful what you wish for. Now, unless they bring in John John Harbaugh or someone who he's a consistent guy, he's a guy you know what you're getting, but he hasn't had much success lately. He had a lot of success, you know, what, 10 years ago. But in the NFL that's clearly changing, Harbaugh hasn't seemed to change with it. Or the, the Baltimore Ravens have not moved along with the, the trends in the NFL. And I think to a point, you have to move with the trends, at least a little. I'm not saying you have to become Kansas City because I don't like Kansas City. I think Kansas City has to have a better defense if they want to win a Super Bowl. Now, Patrick Mahomes is is a freak. He's, he's, a, he's a monster at quarterback. And they have some crazy offensive weapons. But when you don't have a, a defense, if you have one game that's bad on offense, you lose. And, and and if you have one team that matches up well against you, like the Broncos match up against Kansas City, you can be done in the playoffs in one game. It doesn't matter if you have the all-time greatest young quarterback ever. If you have one bad game and your defense sucks, then you're done. And that happens all the time, all the time. And so we always learn that these high-flying offenses eventually have a dud. Look at Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos against the Seattle Seahawks. We all remember it. They were maybe one of the top five offenses ever, and they got destroyed in the Super Bowl because they had a bad game. And so you can't always rely just on your high-flying offense. I get that. So the, the Broncos need to find something, an identity. They have to find who they are, and I still don't think they've found that. I am super excited about this season and the, and the upcoming years because I see so much young talent. Now, you need to say, this is our talent and this is our identity. This is who we are. Are we a running game and a defensive, a, a, a running team and a defensive team, or are we a a team that you know runs the play action? Are we a team that's gritty? Are we a team that's passing the ball all the time? Figure that out. And I think they're getting closer. I see this team figuring out who they are. And once they do, watch out for the rest of the NFL. The rest, <laughs> I cannot talk this morning. What did I say about little sleep? The rest of the NFL should watch out for the Denver Broncos. Now, up next, I want to hand it over to to Skipper Dude, who hopefully can speak a little better than I can today. Uh, he's going to talk about Vance Joseph and compare him to some of the all-time greatest head coaches to ever coach in the NFL, some Hall of Fame head coaches, and say just why Vance Joseph might end up as one of them. Thanks, Kevin. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So if you've been following Broncos and Broad Wars podcast the last few weeks, you'll remember that we've been working through a five-part series that I'm calling Fixing the Broncos. In part one, we discussed ownership and the necessity of the Bolins to sell the Broncos if they want to avoid becoming the Detroit Lions of the 2020s, preferably to an ownership group uh, headed by John Elway that can operate a little bit by, like Magic Johnson and his group that runs the L.A. Dodgers. Last week in part two, we discussed the front office and how it just needs a little tweaking, mostly in the form of John Elway giving over control of the draft board to Gary Kubiak or another keen evaluator of football talent and character. John Elway hasn't been proven to be a particularly good judge of moral character. Well, today was supposed to be part three, uh, discussing the coaching staff and most specifically 
um, finding a new coach for for Vance Johnson when he's or Vance Johnson, I'm sorry, when he's fired at the end of the year. But you know what? In light of the fact that we're all okay, we're all myself included, a little drunk on orange Kool Aid right at the moment. We're gonna put aside the fixing the Broncos series for the moment. And I'm going to take you on a little journalistic research project instead. This should be fun. Okay, so I've told you in past podcasts podcasts that that my background is in IT and business management, and that's true. But I have a history in journalism as well. In fact, the skipper Dudette and I, we'll we'll call her Marianne, met met at the DU Clarion newspaper back in the uh, 1980s. And I actually wrote some articles for the old uh, Rocky Mountain News back in the day. But anyway... The concept of, of opinion journalism, which, which most blogging is opinion journalism, is to find an angle on a story that, that's out of the mainstream and it's enough to capture your attention, but it's not so stupidly out there so as not to be believable, and then to support it with factual artifacts. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. And my angle is, is, and I expect I'm still in a minority, but it's a growing minority, and if you, if you go back to the original, you know, podcasts of, of Broncos and Bratwurst, you, you'll see that I've been steady on this all along. But but basically, my angle is that Vance Joseph just may be the long-term answer at head coach for the Denver Broncos, okay? Yes, it's a minority opinion. But, uh, you know, of course, the case against VJ is pretty obvious, right? He's, he was 5-11 and last year, poor game day management skills, a deer-in-the-headlight look, and, and he seemed to lose the locker room in last season, um, uh, uh, among other issues with with him. Um, and, and yeah, you know, superficially the VJC experiment looks like it's it's on its last legs, or at least it did a couple of weeks ago. But I believe that when you start to look deeper, things are not nearly as as dire as many of us want to think. No doubt, you, you'll be hearing a great deal in the coming weeks, about the four main reasons Vance Joseph is a collective 10 and 17 over two years as Denver Broncos head coach. And I think these are the main four. Okay, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, and Case Keenum. So despite some, some late-game heroics from Keenum, he's been pretty average this year, not not great. He hasn't cost the Broncos a lot of game, but, but he's he's pretty mediocre. And and then, the of course, the three quarterbacks from last year were, were absolutely atrocious and, and honestly I think there really aren't a ton of head coaches who would have gone that much better than 500 this past two seasons with those four at quarter especially as a brand new head coach and some something that goes under recognized I think is, is that VJ was also dealing last year with a rookie defensive coordinator and as well as as a change in offensive coordinators during the year as Mike McCoy was just a an absolute disaster. So, in my opinion, if John Elway made a mistake in remaking his coaching staff last year, it was in pairing up a, a rookie head coach and a defensive a rookie defensive coordinator. Typically, what Elway should have probably done, if he was going to bring Vance Joseph in, especially without even much experience as a defensive coordinator, if he was going to bring him in as a head coach. He really should have brought, he wasn't going to get Wade Phillips, but he should have brought in a Rex Ryan type of a defensive coordinator. Somebody could almost be an assistant coach, assistant head coach, and help show VJ the ropes. But he just got thrown in 
straight into the fire, uh, VJ really did. In Elway, I think the way he did things with, with the rookie head coach and the rookie defensive coordinator was just asking for trouble with that move. And, and I expect he probably knew it. Certainly he knows it now, I'm sure, as he looks back on it. But another underappreciated piece of this puzzle with Vance Joseph is just how difficult it is to be a young head coach in the NFL. It's not just VJ. It's everybody. It's basically everybody. And so I thought what I'd do is take us on a little blast from the past and, and do some research to look at the first two season records of some of the NFL's all-time great head coaches just to see how VJ compares. Um, I thought that'd be an interesting, interesting little research project. So there, there have been a total of nine head coaches from the Super Bowl era elected into the Hall of Fame. Okay, here they are. George Allen, Joe Gibbs, Bud Grant, Tom Landry, Marv Levy, John Madden, Chuck Knoll, Don Shula, and Bill Walsh. Okay, th- those, those are our nine. And, and let's take a quick look at each of them and how they did in the first, their first two years, okay? So, George Allen, 1966 and 67 with the Rams and Redskins, 19-7 and 2. Actually, except for John Madden, he was, probably, he was the, the best, most effective his first um, two years. I, and I have to t- take a quick aside here and, and tell a quick George Allen story because he was a real boy. He, he was something else, paranoid, um, just, a, just a, a fascinating head coach. Uh, he, he came back to the Rams. He coached for the Rams and Redskins 1966 to 77. Came back to the Rams for a second time in 1978 and was actually fired after two preseason games. Um, you know, he was one of the very few times in NFL history a coach has been fired after a preseason game. They asked, the, the reporters asked Carol Rosenblum, the, the Rams owner at the time, why he fired George Allen after a preseason game. And, and Carol Rosenblum said famously, we gave him unlimited authority and he exceeded it. So I, I always love that story about George Allen. So anyways, George, uh, Joe Gibbs, 1981-82 um, for the, the Redskins, 16-9. Okay, there's not a lot of games there because 1982 is a strike season. Uh, Bud Grant, 1967-68 with the Vikings, 11-14-3. Okay, roughly VJ-type territory. Tom Landry, 1960-61 with the Cowboys, 4-20-2. Terrible, terrible first two years for Tom Landry. Marv Levy, 1978-79 with the Chiefs, um, 11-21. Also terrible. John Madden, probably the best of the bunch, 1969-70 was 20 wins, 5 losses, and 3 ties. Chuck Knoll, 1969-1970 with the Steelers, 6-22. He was 1-13 in his first year and somehow managed to keep his job. Um, Don Shula, 1963-64, was 20 wins and 8 losses. Okay, very effective. And Bill Walsh, 1979-80, and 80, with the 49ers, 8-24. and 24. So, so, quick recap. Nine Hall of Fame head coaches of the Super Bowl era, four of them were better than Vance Joseph. Four were worse, and one, Bud Grant, was about the same. Total record... 96 wins, 123 losses, and 8 ties. Sounds something a little bit like where VJ is with his career right now. I mean, basically, you, you throw VJ in to, to a little graph of, of those 9 coaches, and he actually falls right smack dab in the middle. But now, listen to this. this is where it gets really interesting. Season 3. Let's go through the same 9 with Season 3. George Allen, 1968 with the Rams, 10-3-1. 
Joe Gibbs, 1983 with the Redskins, 14 and 2 Super Bowl champions. Bud Grant, 1969 with the Vikings, 12 and 2 um, NFL champs, and actually more like what we would call today NFC champs. So it was NFL versus AFL um, back in back in that day. Tom Landry, 1962 with the Cowboys, 5 8 and 1, and he actually struggled until about 1966, long way into his career. Marv Levy, 1980 with the Chiefs, 8-8. Eight eight. Uh, he actually had a real rough career with Kansas City and went on to have a Super Bowl career with the with the Bills. John Madden went 8-4-2, eight four, eight four 1971 with the Raiders. Chuck Knoll, 1970, eight, 1970 with the Steelers, 6-8. Um, it was year four, actually, for Chuck Knoll, 1971, that the Steelers went in 11-3 and, and, and started one of the greatest dynasties in, in NFL history. Don Shula, 1965 with the Colts, 10-3-1. Bill Walsh, 1981, seven, uh, 1981 with the 49ers, 13-3, Super Bowl champions. So here are these, these nine Hall of Fame coaches in their first two years, 96-123 and 8, and in their collective third year, 76 wins, 41 losses, five ties, two Super Bowl champions, and what amounted to an NFC championship. Wow, what a difference a year makes. Okay, so let's move on and take a look at some more modern. Let's look at some quarter, or some head coaches from today. I did some research and looked at a lot of the top names from today. And, and actually, believe it or not, most, uh, I would say probably a majority of the best modern coaches actually were around 500 or maybe slightly above. For the first two years. Okay, Pete Carroll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Mike McCarthy, Andy Reid. All of these coaches were were above 500. So the, the, that trend has changed a little uh, over the years. However, there are some very notable exceptions. And I want to go through these real quick because this tells a fascinating story. Okay, so let's look at five other legendary type head coaches, or at least some of your top head coaches out there. Bill Belichick, Mike Shanahan, Mike Ditka, Jimmy Johnson, Dan Reeves. Okay, not not um, currently Hall of Fame, but, you know, maybe th- there will be a case for at least a few of them making it into the Hall of Fame someday. Okay, first two years. Bill Belichick, 1991-92 with the Cleveland Browns, 13-19. and 19. Mike Shanahan, 1989-19. 1988-89 with the LA Raiders. He went 8-12. and 12. Not a lot of games there because he got fired in year two. Mike Ditka, um, 1982 with the Bears, was 11-14. Jimmy Johnson, 1989-1990 with the Cowboys, 8-24. Dan Reeves with 1981-82 with the Broncos, 12-13. All right, five coaches, all below 500. In their first two years, 52 and 82 total. Okay, now watch what happens in, in, in year three, just like with the Hall of Fame coaches. Look what happens in year three. Bill Belichick, 1993, Cleveland Browns, he went went up to uh, seven and nine. But then he went eight, 11 and five in, in year four, just like Chuck Knoll had. And in Cleveland, oh, this is Cleveland, right? So he went five and 11 in, in 95. And, and got himself fired, you know, just, just very, very Cleveland type of thing to do. But Mike Shanahan, 1995 with the Broncos, his third year, 8-8. Eight and eight. And then the Elway-Terrell Davis mini-dynasty began in 
year four, just like Chuck Knoll, just like, uh, you know, Bill Belichick had his best year in Cleveland. Mike Ditka, 1984, the Chicago Bears went 10 and 6, and then went 15 and 1, and won the Super Bowl in 1985 in year four. Jimmy Johnson, 1991 with the Cowboys, went 11 and 5, and then he went thir- in 1992, he went 13 and 3, and won the Super Bowl in year four. And then Dan Reeves, 1983 with the Broncos, went 9 and 7, and then the following year went 13 and 3, but he, he actually lost early in the playoffs in year four. So these five coaches, all below 500 their first two years, year three turned it around to 45 and 35, and then by year four, just amazing numbers 65 and 15 collectively, three Super Bowls. Okay, so what's my conclusion here? Vance Joseph may honestly end up not being a very good head coach. He may never improve beyond what we see today. But the history of the greatest coaches of all time show us that if he's the long-term answer, and who knows, perhaps he'll be the long-term answer before, perhaps he'll even be a Hall of Fame caliber head coach someday. But year three is the pivotal year where he begins to put things together and he'll begin to win consistently if he's going to be the answer of the Broncos. And year four should be a monster. Okay, years three and four are when we'll really know what we have in Vance Joseph. And given the terrible quarterback's hand situation he's been dealt and his coaching up of some pretty good football against a brutal schedule so far in 2018, I believe VJ has pretty well earned a third season with the Broncos. And if VJ can follow the story arc of these legendary head coaches, we could be in for some fun time over the next couple of years. Kevin, back to you. All right, so before we get to the Broncos versus Cincinnati that's coming up this next Sunday, let's talk a little bit around the NFL. And again, I mostly like to focus on things that actually apply to the, the Broncos and mostly the the AFC West. Obviously, this week, the Kansas City Chiefs were on a bye week, so we didn't get to see the best offense and worst defense in football. Uh, San Diego Chargers, excuse me, man, someday I'm going to get this right. The LA Chargers whooped up on Arizona, absolutely demolished them 45-10. to 10. Phillip Rivers went 28 of 29 passing. He completed his first 25 passes in a row, which is an all-time NFL record. The guy had, I think he had three touchdowns, 260 yards, one of the best games we've seen a quarterback throw uh, by purely percentage-wise ever. Uh, again, it goes with my trend of thinking that these the Chargers are better than the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I do think the Chargers are a more all-around team. I think they don't get a lot of love. I think people look at them as, as being a team that chokes all the time. I mean, Rivers is famous for not living up to his potential in big games. But I think they still have a ton of talent. They have a good pass rush. They have a decent defense. They have a good running game. They have a really good quarterback, at least in the off se- in the in the regular season. So I, I, I like San Diego, and they, they showed up against a really bad team. Yes, but they're they're eight and three right now, and easily in that first wild card wild card position. Now Oakland, obviously on the opposite side of the spectrum in terms of good or bad teams, they got destroyed thirty four seventeen by Baltimore. Oakland is, as we all know, a dumpster fire. 
it's honestly, there's no real reason to talk about them for the rest of the year. Um, I think they're going to lose out. I think they want to lose out. I think Gruden, they have, I think, I believe it's three first round picks and he is going to use them. And I think that we're going to see a different team in the next few years. If that's good or bad, I don't know. But right now, who cares? They're, they're terrible. They're the worst team in football. And that's exactly what they want. Um, Otherwise, what else happened? Uh, Cleveland beat Cincinnati and really, really whooped them in the beginning. Uh, Cincinnati came back a bit at the end after Andy Dalton got injured. Uh, the final score was 35-20 for Cleveland. Cleveland is a scary team. Now that they got rid of probably the worst coach in football, one of the worst coaches in football history with Hugh Jackson, who ironically went over to the other side to Cincinnati, who plays Cleveland twice, um, and the players apparently did not like that, and I don't blame them. I mean, that is... That's pretty trashy, Hugh Jackson. I mean, what are you doing? You know, come on. That that you don't go to your division rival right after getting fired, and then he goes and tries to hug the players of the Cleveland, you know, the Cleveland players that he just left and stabbed in the back. Come on, that, that's such a joke. I mean, I get it. You you want a job in the NFL, but don't take it with the rivals and then expect a hug. And I think Cleveland has that fire under him because partly against Hugh Jackson, but they're a good team. I think they're 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 coaches. Uh, one of the guys who's not super well respected, uh, Greg Williams, who's known for uh, what was it? What was that? Uh, oh, um, Hitman Gate, whatever it was, where he was he was like paying players to to injure the opposing quarterbacks or whatever. I mean, kind of crazy guy, but he's he's really turned the team around a bit, um, and that's not saying much after a coach like Jackson. Anyway, Cleveland's really good. They're also a team that the Broncos are going to play. Uh, in the next few weeks, and a team that possibly will have a chance with the playoffs, but but probably not. I think they're four, six, and one at the moment, and that's not likely going to get them anywhere. Cincinnati, we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, not very good, uh, very very bad defense. Uh, what else happened? Buffalo beat Jacksonville. Jacksonville just continues to nosedive. New England beat New York. Philadelphia beat New York Giants. Blah 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 blah. Boy, there was really really nothing happened yesterday, right? Okay, Indianapolis beat Miami. Indianapolis is a team the Broncos have to look for. Um, I believe they're in the second wild wild caught wild card position. Um, so Baltimore and the Colts are two teams that we want to lose from here on out. Uh, especially Baltimore, since they hold the tiebreaker over the Broncos uh, with a head to head win that they got earlier this season. Uh, Andrew Luck continues his streak of three touchdown games and 300 yards. The dude is absolutely amazing. Not like that's too surprising. I didn't know if he was going to be able to come back from his injury, but boy, has he ever. And their offensive scheme is also helping him out. Minnesota beat Green Bay. Boy, there's another team that's just bizarre, right? You have a Hall of Fame quarterback, a consistent head coach, and a bad team. So this is the team that kind of puts a kibosh on, on the whole of my top seven and somehow the Hall of Fame quarterback and good coach, or at least consistent, consistently their head coach, and some talent, they're not very good. And they haven't been very good for several years. And, and you have to wonder, boy, maybe eventually you have to start pointing at the, the GM too. But you also have to point at a very expensive quarterback. Still, Aaron Rodgers, is he's good enough that he's one that's worth paying. But either way, uh, they're probably not going to make the playoffs again. And Mike McCarthy is almost unquestionably going to be fired. That is unless they trade Aaron Rodgers, which I don't think is going to happen. Anyway, what? who plays tonight? Tonight it is Tennessee and Houston. So actually, that's another game that um hoping for a... Oh boy, who do we want? I guess you want Tennessee to lose that game because they're 5-5 five and five, while Houston's 7-3. and three. 
Houston's leading the division. So we, we really would rather Houston continue to win out and Tennessee to lose because they're one of the teams that the Broncos are going to be kind of fighting against in that wild card run. So go Houston. And uh, and I hope Demarius Thomas has a little bit of success, though. He's he's really struggled there in the first couple of weeks trying to figure out the new scheme. As we were talking about earlier, that is not easy. Um, so anyway, pretty boring NFL week besides the Broncos in Pittsburgh, which I, I think was was really the best game of the week. Um, and now let's talk a little bit about the Broncos and the Bengals. So just a few of the stats that I was just now looking up about Cincinnati. They're an interesting team because they've lost three straight. They're still in the wild in the wild card hunt. They're five and six. Um, they started out well. Uh, they, they're a team that people thought could actually have a chance at winning the, the division. Um, Joe Mixon is a young running back. Andy Dalton as the veteran quarterback, etc. They have a, a couple hard-hitting guys on defense, but it's all kind of falling apart. Their defense has been an absolute sieve. They, they've, they've been terrible. Um, their offensive game has been decent. Their passing attack has been less than average. So, honestly, it's not a very good team. And I keep hearing people say that they're, you know, they're a scary opponent and whatnot. And I think maybe they are because the Broncos aren't that good of a team either. And Cincinnati is at home. But this is a team that is definitely beatable. If you look at the stats, Cincinnati is 12th in total points. Okay, Denver is 21st, so Denver's offense has not scored a whole lot of points. Cincinnati is 27th in yards, and Denver is 13th. So kind of a strange turnaround there that Denver is putting up a decent amount of yards but failing to score. So I think that's a real example of the beginning of the season where Case Keenum really struggled in the red zone and threw several interceptions. And that's something that will really add up to the end of the year with these these stats, these team stats. Um, on defense, Denver is 18th with overall yards against. Cincinnati is 31st. Denver uh, with points against is 15th, so middle of the pack. Cincinnati is the second worst team in the NFL. So again, Cincinnati has a porous defense, uh, especially against the the pass. They are very poor in the defensive secondary. And Denver maybe could take advantage. I don't think that's really, you know, the, I don't know, the key to success for the rest of the season because you don't want to put the ball in Case Keenum's hand and tell him to go win. That's not his strength. You want to put it in the hands of Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, and then say, okay, Keenum, now go make us a few plays. And if the Broncos do that, which I think they're figuring out, then this team's going to have a chance. I think they have a good chance. They're playing against a team that's, yeah, again, it's just, it's not that great. So I think... This could happen. I think, I think there are plenty of reasons to to look at the next, you know, the upcoming games for the Broncos and say that th- th- this could happen. That this really could be a playoff team. Now, once they make the playoffs, hypothetically, what could happen there? And and I think it could be interesting because again, you look at the games that they've lost even and they are mostly against playoff teams. You look at, again, Seattle, probably a playoff team. Baltimore, hopefully not, but could be. They're, they're right in the middle. Kansas City, absolutely. L.A. Rams, absolutely. Kansas City again, absolutely. Houston, absolutely. L.A. Chargers, absolutely. Pittsburgh, playoff team. So they played a lot of playoff teams, and they played them all close. So even their losses, you know, Kansas City, they lost by four the first game, seven the second game. Houston, they lost by two on the last second field goal. Baltimore they lost by okay they lost by 13 against Baltimore but it was fairly close at the end so 
it's a team that can stick with teams even with the high-powered offenses, and they, they've been one of the best teams to slow down the, the offense offenses like Kansas City and like the L.A. Rams. And so once you get to the playoffs, the key would be for the defensive backs to somehow perform because the Broncos have two of the main, okay, two of the four keys to winning in the playoffs, in my opinion. They have a good running attack and a good pass rush. Those are two very big keys to winning. Now, the other two are a at least decent secondary to be able to let your, you know, your pass rush get to the quarterback. And you need a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes and preferably who helps win you games. Now, Keenum, maybe give him a half point for that. So the Broncos, they, they could make some noise. And now, first, obviously, they have to get there. The remaining schedule is this Sunday at Cincinnati. That's an early game, thank goodness, for us in Europe. Uh, we love those 11 a.m. games because it means it's 7 p.m. for us over here and not 10.30 start, which is a little brutal. Um, but it's a little tough because, again, it's traveling east and it's an early game, which Vance Joseph's teams have never won, not yet in, in two seasons. Um, after Cincinnati, a game, again, I think they can win, is a game in San Francisco. San Francisco is, I think, similar to Oakland. They're they're really not good. They lost their quarterback, and I, I they seem to be completely tanking. They're on their third-string quarterback, Mullins, who I don't even know where he came from or what school he went to. He's kind of a nobody. Um, that is absolutely a game the Broncos can and should win. Uh, they have a game at home against Cleveland. Now, this is a big game. I think... Since it's at home, I'll give the Broncos the edge, but Cleveland, you cannot sleep on Cleveland. This is not your brother's Cleveland. This is not the 2017 Cleveland or the 2008 or 1998, etc. the last 40 years Cleveland. I think they, they've turned a corner, and they have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. So, I, <coughs> excuse me, I think the Broncos can pull it out because it's at home, but tough game. At Oakland, again, I don't think Oakland wins another game this year. They are really really terrible um that is a monday night game uh joy for us um so that'll be two fifteen in the morning for you folks listening in europe or at least in germany uh 115 for the brits i believe and then the final game is at home against the la chargers who by that time might have their playoff position already um, wrapped up so they may actually have little to play for and it's possible they will rest Philip Rivers and, and other starters now that's asking for a lot but it's possible so so what needs to go right you also need a couple teams to lose you're going to need um, the Colts Baltimore uh, Tennessee other teams to at least lose a game or two down the road down the stretch and give you that chance to get into that last position for the playoffs can they do it Maybe. I don't know. But the fact that we are talking about it, the fact that I can sit here and say, if the Broncos do this, they can and should be in the playoffs is really, really cool. I'm really glad. Now, yes, it is easier talking about negative things. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's easier because there's there are more guesses. There's more uncertainty. There's more who can we hire? Who can we fire? Who should come in? When you're doing well, you can expound on what's going well, but there's less ifs. And for the team and for a fan, of course, that's a good thing. So I love watching a team win. I love talking about a team win. And I hope the rest of the Broncos fans out there, I hope you're enjoying the 
glory and basking in the happiness of the afterglow of a win, a home win, a deserved win, and and I hope you're all getting pumped up for this week against Cincinnati. I'm having a viewing party at my house outside of Munich. I'm going to have a bunch of my German friends come over who know absolutely nothing about football. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell them who to cheer for and tell them that when I get loud, they should get loud too. And hopefully that our our mojo and our uh, good vibes uh, help you know help our team across the ocean to bring home an all-important victory like all the rest of them will be for this 2018 season. So, hey, let's go Broncos. Playoffs or die. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.